Hey friends, this is Tim Easton. I'm a songwriter living in Nashville, Tennessee, and you are listening to Talking Blues. I presume you write on a regular basis. You're a prolific songwriter. When did you realize the importance of songwriting? Uh, I do write regularly. I try to get up and do it every day. However, I'm also a, quite a bit of a, but a traveling going on in my life. So there's no routine, right? Um, I'd like to think of myself as an early riser, but that's not always the case, you know. I like to, I like to think of myself as trying to take care of myself so I can keep this machine going, you know. Keep this, but it's, it's, it's rough out there. The, the traveling. Um, when did I think that songwriting was early on for me? So basically, my my brothers um, played guitar. I'm the youngest of four brothers and two sisters, so I was like already like entertaining the family right off the bat. Right, I'm like the, the trained little monkey, you know, right. putting on shows, holding the hat out early on, and um, I learned early on about the songwriting thing just out of. Um, you know, I had some good marks in poetry, and basically, um, the uh, I came back, you know, in the fourth or fifth grade or something with some good marks in poetry, and um, and then my brother told me, you know, if you play guitar and write poetry, you can write songs. And I was maybe fourteen years old, and I started right then, and I started imitating some of my heroes, you know, uh, the Beatles, etc., and. Um, and then I learned from those guys and women uh, like Joni Mitchell to go, you know, farther back in time and start studying some of the older cats. A lot of country blues guys like Sonny Terry, Brandon McGee, Woody Guthrie, Dylan, etc. All these people pointed, Dylan especially, pointed backwards. And I just found out that that way of songwriting, the, the I guess what it's called the old school way now, you know, not using computers so much is uh is a is a is a pleasant place to be a pleasant place to uh to work out of and it's been that way pretty much ever since i i will use the computer here and there for to make a beat or a loop you know i think that's kind of fun um and every now and then i do some editing as well uh with my home demos but i really just try to like hit record and let the song roll out uh you know, almost not finished, quite finished yet, and see what comes of it. So at a very early age, you, you realize the importance of songs, the value of a yeah. song as opposed to trying to be the best lead guitar player. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got into the songs pretty early on. And that, you know, my my number of published songs out there right now, it's over 100, it's under 200. Um, but if you look at, like the world of songwriting here in Nashville, like everybody, like my UPS man's a songwriter, you know, and everybody writes songs. We're all songwriters here. And it's no big deal to have written a couple hundred songs. Um, to have published a couple hundred songs is a different story. And that is my case. And the only way I can say that I got there is because I started early and I leaned into it. Um, there is many years of slacking though. And there's many years where I was a street musician, you know, like seven years overseas in Europe. Um, playing on the streets, kind of learning to live. I was living the life that led to some of the songs that I have today, you know, the experiences. 
when I started writing songs, I didn't have anything to write about. You know, you can't. You can only write about teen angst and anger at your parents for so long. You know what I mean? He's doesn't. You don't have any life experience. So, um, I think today I'm writing more than I ever used to. If you know, part of it is because I have a Patreon page, right? And my Patreon page is pretty, pretty straightforward, man. It's like. You pay two bucks a month, and I give you a new song every month, and it's a raw demo, and then eventually you get the finished, you know, album that comes from the 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 work, the hard work I do, or the hard work I do. I, I guess it's it's hard enough work, anyways. Well, I'm sure it is. I mean, is songwriting ever difficult for you? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I should say this: it's not hard work because I love doing it, so it's like it's fun. Right. It, it when it becomes hard is when you've like procrastinated or slacked or spent too much time on social media or watched you know whatever you just slacked a little bit and then all of a sudden you're at crunch time and you need a song so then I often will go into a blues form because it's a simple familiar thing that I know really well and just push out a, a tune that's like you know the two lines and the one answer line but that that happens every now and then um, I don't know is it hard work I, I'd say not. Um, I mean, people talk about writer's block and, and, and hitting oh, a brick wall. Oh, yeah, I don't wall. have that. You don't have that. Yeah, that's... I don't experience that because I read. I try to read a lot. And I tell all my... When I teach a songwriting workshop, which I've done um, like six times now. The last one was in Arkansas. And I start off with like, hey, you got to read a lot. If you read a lot, all the words that are coming in, they're easier to regurgitate or spit out when you need to. You know, some... Some people just have that, you know, like some hip hop, uh, you know, uh, MC poets, you know, they, they just let, are able to free freestyle it, you know, because they've absorbed a lot of words. And that's where that comes from. It doesn't, you don't just wake up one day and, and you know, well, not everybody wakes up and is all of a sudden great at that. You know, it, it there's a lot of reading that goes along with it. So writer's block, I haven't experienced writer's block or, or been bored trying to do this for a couple decades now. That's pretty impressive, I think. But it, but it, uh, I guess yeah. it's like going to work for you, right? Like, I mean, you get up and then you start, if you have the time, if you're not traveling, then you get up and then you work on songs. Yeah, I mean, song. yeah, I try to make, I try to make time in the morning for something, whether it's journal writing or just morning pages or just basically trying to create, trying to write. And then I write, you know, all through the day I keep something with me or I use my phone and I write down expressions and phrases. And next thing you know, if you do that enough, you'll have a, a lot of material. You know, you can always David Bowie cut and paste a song from little chunks of notes. It's it's not that hard to do. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a I'm not a young young man anymore. Well, I feel young, um, you know, and I act like it a lot, but it's like when you, when you're in your twenties, you're all angsty about it and stuff, and thirties too. And then now it's just a lot more laid back about it. It's just it's easier for some reason. Okay, so I know that you spent some time in Japan when you were growing up. What, what ages were you? What age were you when you were? There? Oh yeah, very young. Uh, second, third, and fourth grade. So I'm like nine, ten, and eleven years old in okay. in Tokyo. So wow. Yeah. How did that change you? How did that influence you? That move well, to Japan and living in a foreign country. Um, profoundly, I'd say, uh, it, 
first thing would be those huge journeys, right? As a kid, like you're in a, in a, in a big airplane going a long distance. It's a, it's an exciting thing. And the first time we went, we went via Hawaii. I mean, that's where we started. So it was like that, it's a massive impact on you. Uh, seeing that underwater world, like I'll never forget that, like the first snorkeling. So then you're traveling, you're in a new culture. And we then we went via Alaska a couple of times and that had a massive impact on my life. It just did, like looking at those mountains. And then when I think back to, to Japan, it's like, it, it's not so much a culinary thing, you know, it's not the food when you're a kid. Um, I've been back since, I've been on tour a couple of times and now it's about the food. Now it's about finding the, 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 the greasiest like old man soup hangout you can find where there's no tourists, you know, no gaijin, just like all, all uh, you know, Japanese food people, you know, just like that's what it's about now. But back then, you're just a kid running around and you get into the um, you get into the, the comic book culture, like for sure, you know, and, and that stuff was part of part of my youth. Uh, but I had a babysitter that like loved the Beatles, you know, got so that that is a big deal. Right. That's those are the things that like come to mind right away. But of course, it had a profound impact on my life because I left America. And so therefore, my worldview changed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all there is to it. And and, you know, since I returned, um, I just saw Oppenheimer last week and was a little bit underwhelmed with it. But, you know, when you start to realize these things as a kid or when you get your, your ass kicked like I did by other Japanese kids whose grandfathers perished in war, you know, that kind of stuff happened too, right? My brothers were a little older. They were fighting a little more. So there was like that, that uh, you know, this is a nice, nice time. that No one's ever really asked me about that, you know? No one's ever really asked me about the the impact about that. And I really haven't thought about it much, but of course it was a profound <laughs> impact on my life and then led to this world traveling that I carried on with. Like it, it started the traveling bug in me for sure. So you, you go back to the States, you go to university in Ohio, then you decide yeah, to travel, Akron, Ohio. but you decide to travel the, to Europe. Was it to be a busker or was it to see the world and Jesus just brought your guitar? Um, yeah, no, I was the busking thing. I knew I was going to get to it. Like I, I, I was playing guitar. I was learning some stuff. I was learning the basics, um, and, and chord changes and things, but I didn't have, really have much to write about. So I just knew that I had to go and I picked London cause it was like, well, they speak the same language. I'll go over there. And I, I knew I could play in the streets and I started out slowly, but surely, you know, I got a job as a bus boy and then I was busking. Then I got a job as a bartender and then I was busking. And the busking slowly took over. And then, you know, I recall like using, I remember REM, REM was on tour with the, the Green album. Um, and I remember using Pete Buck's name when the police caught me busking. I was like, and they asked me my name. I was like, I'm Peter Buck. That's my name. And I remember that. And then like a week later, I met him because he played the bar next to my bar. And I was like, man, I just, uh, I can't believe this. I used your name <laughs> And he was like, why would you do, you know, <laughs> I was like, just like one of those things. And I got to, I got to know him a little bit, you know, but, um, he's, he's a music lover and, uh, yeah, the, I had to go, I just went, started busking and then started living this life. 
of the Vagabond Troubadour. And it, it was, you know, I was young and you don't mind sleeping on couches or the occasional park bench or whatever. There's sometimes very some very romantic uh, places to stay too. But, you know, life like started to take place that way. And then I went to Spain, you know, I speak Spanish and I got down there and that, up that it, it changed everything for me. And then I lived in France for a year. And so I basically, my worldview entirely changed as a North American, as someone with a Canadian mother born on the border and pretty much an American, you know, I think my mom would have said the same thing about her life. She's an American or a North American. Right. So, you know, that's just the way it, it was um, and, and way it is. But I, I definitely have a different worldview about, yeah, about what's going on with, with, uh, with humanity and, and, and uh, anthropology and stuff like that because of all this traveling I did. Did you go back and forth or were you in Europe for seven years straight? No, I went back and forth. Okay. I would come back, you know, I would just come back to do some check-in, you know, back at home and, um, and, and go see some shows. But I quickly would like just boogie on, boogie back because, I mean, it was pretty good, you know. It's almost like we could do seven to ten podcasts alone on each phase of my European busking because... <laughs> each country is Just different. think about it, you know. Yeah, just think about how amazing it would be to be in your 20s and be on the streets of Italy or Prague or right after the Velvet Revolution or Amsterdam, you know, and just the the life, life was good. It was amazing. It was, it was really good. It was, it's like a dream almost. You're obviously somebody who can adapt very quickly, but how long did it take you to adapt into a new city as a busker? Oh, you just, you, you know, back in, this is before the internet. So you would just go to where the you'd find the scene the poets the 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 uh the uh the beatniks the the punks the gutter punks the um the bookstores the the record stores the venue you know the folk the folk venue i mean i always was kind of a folky that's the thing like i love rock and roll and <clears throat> there should have been a lot of my contemporaries or whatever you know more more steady direction right into rock and roll and and what and whatnot and pop pop music, but I did kind of always lean into the folkies, the Sonny Terry Brown and McGee Woody Guthrie side of it a little stronger, so I feel more comfortable in that world and that's I still do like I love Folk Alliance I prefer Folk Alliance over South by Southwest, both were started by the same guy uh, or Americana Fest even like I Folk Alliance is just more my people and. And, you know, I, from a business point of view, whatever, you can say what you want, but I just, I love the music that is made by, you know, the elder folk musicians. And I just, for some reason, that storytelling, like AI just never is going to get in there. You know, there's always going to be that pocket of cats who are just sitting around um, playing songs and learning the old songs and, and keeping it going. So um, I forget what the question was, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, I went, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I went back and forth a lot and I, I learned a lot, but every, every phase of it, like really get, I can get emotional. I can get emotional just thinking about going around Ireland for a couple months. I mean, hitchhiking around Ireland. I met John Prine there, you know, it was, uh, it definitely a special life. And I've been trying to make the book or the film about that forever. 
because it's just so much material. Um, did you know that you were going to be a more a musician at that point? Like, did you have a yeah that yeah? Did you have a goal in mind? Well, yeah. I mean, there's also a disconnect in me. Like, I'm I'm a uh, it must be something to do with self esteem or something like that too. I like I necessarily don't feel comfortable. It's the the Groucho Marx expression. Uh, I don't feel comfortable in any club that would have me as a member. So there's that that fear of fame, that fear of that sa- that self sabotage. Like I went through a a pretty steady self sabotage thing when I got back to America. I always knew. I knew right away. You know, it's the same story that you hear all the time. You see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and you're like, oh, that looks fun. You know, those they, everybody says the same thing. It's true. When you're young and you're impressionable and you see this and then you find, then you, you know, your, your, uh, your school teacher says, oh, we're not going to sing Let It Be in church anymore because Mother Mary is referring to marijuana and not, you know, Jesus's mother. And you're like, what is marijuana? You're telling me the Beatles were smoking it. Where can I get some right now? Like that's, <laughs> that's the direction I went, you know, I was just like, you know, and I went fully into that and that was probably damaging, you know, that damaged, uh, or, or slowed me down to an extent. Like I don't have a problem with people doing drugs or psychedelics or whatever and all that stuff that's very popular in the culture today, microdosing. But I was a pretty young man, you know, 16 years old, uh, you know, getting into it is probably a little too young. I, like I wasn't fully um, formed yet. So it probably scattered scattered me pretty good. And by the time I got back to America... And I had the I had the goods in order to get you know enough to get signed right I got I went to L.A. and I, I think I got a record deal in a week I was in L.A. for one week wow yeah I was there and it was like boom yeah you know because Los everybody's afraid of Los Angeles but the fact is it's like if you have something they need it they they don't survive without young talent and things ideas and you know the music business is just nothing without songwriters right and and or troubadours. So I was really lucky. I met uh, some good some good cats actually, and they signed me right away. But I was not. I was immature. Still, I was like emotionally too immature for that, and I sabotaged it in a in a barrage of drugs and alcohol. Like just you know, I just I put I played poor shows. I think it's important for me to acknowledge that, but it never stopped me from writing songs. Like I I don't think you know. I could quit doing that no matter what. Like if you told me, oh, you're going to be off the road for a year, no more folk festivals or whatever, I'd be like, okay. But I could never stop writing songs, you know? As a matter of fact, it'd be kind of appealing to to just stay at home and write for a year. I just don't know how I'm going to do that, how I would do that and also pay the bills and stuff like that. So yeah, today, sober guy, you know, if you haven't figured that out by now, a little bit sober and more sober and more probably have more energy and more ambition to write better. I don't have that teenage brain. I don't have that 20 year old brain, which is important for creativity and emotional, you know, there's, there's a certain creativity going on there. Um, that's different. And, um, but I have a little more experience now, a little bit more strength, a little bit more hope and, and optimism, even though the world is still a big, scary monster, when you think of it politically and, 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 and what's going on out there. But I, I don't know. I just feel like I have, I have no shortage 
of uh, material to write about. And I can pull out any of my old journals, which I've kept the entire time, and look up the date and, and find out where I was and what I was doing at that time. Um, can we just go back to that sabotaging, if you don't mind? Yeah. <laughs> no um, problem. Why do you think you did Self-esteem. It, can you explain That's just that like a that, little more? Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, you know, alcoholism and stuff like that, it's a progressive thing, right? I might not have started out in this, like, right away drinking myself into uh, trouble or blackout or just going to jail or whatever. But eventually it progressed there for me. It get progressed. All the, all the free booze and free drugs of being a traveling musician, it progressed. And instead of leaning towards the positive... I let I, I lean towards the negative, the darker side, the lower side, right? Why did I do that? Why why specifically did I do that? I I'm not sure. It, I think it goes back to um, self esteem though, and like not thinking that you're good enough right. to 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 play in the big leagues. You know, it's probably part of it, right? And then that kind of like fortunately for me has has gone away, and not in a pompous way, but like. I don't feel that way anymore, you know, but I did go to therapy and I did go to rehab way back when. And I did, you know, I did go to jail a bunch of times when I was younger. I, I went to jail in foreign countries, which is, it's kind of romantic now to think about it. You're like, oh yeah, I went to jail in Paris, you know, because I was drunk and I was run, running down the street on the roofs of cars, you know, stuff like that. <clears throat> but today, today is, uh, um, I'm not proud. I'm just saying, like, I'm really, I feel really lucky that I didn't hurt anybody uh, physically. You know, like, there might have been some emotional damage that I did in relationships, but I didn't hurt anybody and I didn't hurt myself. You know, I, I did maybe damage the brain a little bit, but it's like, I feel really lucky. You know, there's a lot of people out there that don't have that same story. Like, they caused some serious damage mm-hmm. and they're going to live with it forever. And, you know, today I, I try to help people that are in trouble in that way because it's my way of, of uh, just, um, I guess, keeping uh, honest with myself about it, you know, how I, how I was and how I treated people back then. What did the busking do for you in terms of being a musician? Because I hear, you know, I've talked to musicians who've done it, and some people said it was easy because people weren't paying attention to them, they could just do whatever they want. And yes. there are other people who said it was great because you learned how to get people's attention. But I wonder what you got out of busking, especially if you spent that much time out of it. And then was the goal to be a great busker? Or was the goal to become sign, be, be signed by a record label and be a touring musician? Ah. Interesting. Uh, no, the goal was to turn the tourist money into my beer money. That's really what, that's what the goal was. When you get out, when you get out first, get out there, you're like, I've got to eat and I've got to drink and I've got to pay for my youth hostel or whatever it is, whatever I'm staying, rent. Um, <clears throat> and that was, that was the goal. Like you're, you're just getting by for the day and maybe, you know, try to get a shower or clean up a little bit. So that would be the early first goals. Um, I, as it was, I was playing on the Charles Bridge in Prague when a Polish gentleman by the name of Jurek Podulka came by, he had a little recording studio. He had, he had a he had a four track or an eight track cassette studio, and he saw me and he said, "Come over to my place, let's record." So I did my first recordings on the Charles Bridge, 
and he signed me to his little cassette label that he had. And it's the first recordings I made over 30 years ago, uh, 35, a long time ago. It was like 1992. So yeah, well, it's a long time ago. Um, and he, uh, you know, those songs, that, that says everything. I don't like the, the performances are a little bit over the top for me. Um, I haven't found my voice yet. Still working on that. Um, but the music that's on it says everything. It's like Doc Watson, Sonny Terry Brown and McGee, songs by my friend J.P. Olsen, O-L-S-E-N, one of the greatest songwriters I know, uh, and then a few new originals. Um, and the, the goal really was just to, to learn and just experience life in order to write songs. So that, that cassette is like half covers, half originals. And then... Not too long after that, I got back to America and I got in a band and then the whole album was my songs. Then my first album came out and those were all my songs. So the goal was to start writing and start, you know, being able to, to have your own material. And it's been that way ever since. I don't quite fit into the Nashville scene of playing covers. I can. I love covers, but my covers are always weird, <laughs> obscure obscure covers. Like, like the other day I did... Um, I played this really nice bar in Nashville called Jane's Hideaway. My friend Pedal Steel Pat, Patrick Gully, he plays Pedal Steel. And we just jammed for three hours. And I played a couple covers. I played uh, Dylan's uh, Boots of Spanish Leather. You know, I do, you know I, do some, I do some romantic covers of my, my heroes, you know. So while you were busking, you, you, did, you were also concentrating writing your own stuff. Yeah. Did it matter that when you were out there playing, if you played covers or your own stuff? Like, oh. how was how how were you received by the walking public? Yeah. Okay, so at one point in my life, Beck, the famous Beck, was a busking buddy of mine, and he wrote about it in this book called American Musicians. It's by it's Annie Leibovitz photograph book, and he wrote an essay in there. He explains exactly what I'm trying to say, or what my answer is, and that. The buskers down the road that were playing Simon and Garfunkel and Hotel California and all Beatles, they had bigger crowds. They made more money. They had more girls. You know, it was that, that was what was going on there. Uh, we, we over here in the folk camp, that every now and then we'd play a cover. Every now and then we'd play like Sat Satisfaction by the Stones or strangely like Push the Little Daisies by Ween was another one we did. Uh, I would do an REM, REM song every now and then. So I was doing obscure covers that only, I'm not trying to say that I was some kind of like, you know, hipster or anything, but it's like, those were the cup. We were doing Sonny Terry, Brandon McGee. I was doing Bob Dylan's Outlaw Blues a lot. Uh, ain't gonna hang no picture. Ain't gonna hang no picture frame. That song uh, from Highway 61. Um, my covers were very like, obscure you know but they had a backbeat to them and they had a they had a rhythm and blues country blues thing to them that's that's what i did i was bringing the american country blues experience to europe and i had a gibson guitar and if i had an upright bass player or a washboard player with me in a skiffle situation then we would crush it you know but otherwise otherwise i was like kind of a an oddball but i brought i brought you know i brought a certain crowd in and um I watched people fall in love right in front of me. I mean, those years in Prague after the Velvet Revolution, I wish 
that uh, I just met a guy in uh, in uh, Eureka Springs that, that said, I think I photographed you on the bridge in 1991. And I'm like, find the photograph, please. Because, you know, that era of time was very special. And th But there, there was a guy down the bridge that played all Beatles songs. And he would have like 150 people singing along, you know. And we would do like Norwegian Wood or something every now and then. And, you know, but we we wouldn't stick to that formula. We We, we were trying to be... We we're trying to do our own thing, and um, you know, you got to play a Johnny Cash song every now and then. To me, that like today, that's hugely popular stuff or whatever. But back then, I guess on the bridge, it was a little bit more on the freak folk side. But you didn't you didn't look over there and go, God. I mean, I know how much the Beatles mean to you, and still do, does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have done yeah. a lot of Beatles, a lot more Beatles song. Absolutely. But that wasn't it. Wasn't about getting more people around you. Yeah. What is that? what is that? There's something going on there. It just. It just shows you that's part of the whole vibe too. It's like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have thousands of people. I just want a nice little crowd here that I can that I can see everybody, look everybody in the eyes, and it's pretty much remained that way ever since. I I, I don't I don't uh, you know I'm I'm gonna go play a folk festival this weekend, a songwriter festival, and uh, I'm not on the big stages, but I I'm very lucky. I have I have gigs. I have work. I have all the work I want really. Um, and it's, it, you know, the, the, the modern world crushing in on the, the artificial intelligence thing, more power to them, um, whatever's going to happen. But I still have a way to communicate with people and, and play a house show and be one-on-one, -on -one, you know, and just really get right in each person's <clears throat> grill and, and, you know, really communicate with them. So, yeah, that is interesting. It's it already back then, even I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to sing all Beatles songs. And and yeah, he was doing Hey Jude. Like, Hey Jude and Let It Be would have been, like, Hey Jude, exact, ex perfect example. Way too commercial for us at that time, you know? Right. But, it's per but I sang that song when I was five, you know, uh, to my family, you know, or whatever, <laughs> to whoever would live, to my Canadian cousins. That That's what my Canadian cousins remember the most. They're like, me singing Hey Jude as a as a child. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess back then I was going for it, you know. But <laughs> I I wonder. Yeah. Um, there was a thing that you posted in June that you played. You drove nine hours and you played in front of four people. Oh yeah. Two of who had actually paid for a ticket. And you said it was the best gig of my life. Now I don't know if it was the best gig of your life, but it sounded like a great gig. Which kind of ties into what we we're just talking about. Can you talk about that a bit? Because it, obviously, it's not about. I mean, I'm sure you would like a bigger crowd, but it's not necessarily about how many people are in the audience. Yeah. Um, okay, maybe it wasn't the best gig <laughs> of my life, um, but the the thing is, is like today, I'm just able to learn from that. You know, I'm able to just learn. And I'm able to accept right away that like, oh yeah, I made a mistake and I didn't spend, invest the money on promotion like I should have with the promoter. We should have worked together on that. Whatever. Either way, I was able to like say, well, this is it. What's going on right now is happening whether I like it or not. So let's lean into it and give give the best thing you can to these two people and like involve them. And it was, you know, it was just, it was it was either that or, or have a nervous breakdown, you know, the option. So I, I chose to learn from it. Yeah, I mean, there was parts of me that were feeling very despondent about it too, you know. I mean, you have to be honest there. It's like, 
I remember going to the hotel that night and um, this is the story I want to tell. I, I got a hotel room and, and I was walking over to the convenience store near the hotel and I passed by a young mom and her child in the back of a U-Haul truck and they had the top up. And they were back there rooting around looking for something. And that just you could tell that they had escaped whatever situation they were in really quickly and just threw everything in that truck. And um, I could have just sat there and talked to them all night because I was I immediately able to see how my life might have had a little hiccup in it, whatever. But like this was something else entirely that was way more serious than a troubadour having a weird night on the road just because he doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't have a manager or whatever, you know, like that, that thing, you know, it's like, yeah, that story about me is ancient. Um, there's so much I could talk about it, but you know, that's really, I, I just put on a good show and, and, um, you know, now I have, I have, uh, two fans for life, you know, because of that. Um, so that's, that's really about all I can say about it right now. I feel like I, I feel like I, I don't want to have those nights you know, so I tried to make sure that that's not going to happen. But in this case, you know, that was squeezed in between two other gigs that were fine. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just the way it just the way it happened that night. Well, and I know it's a Facebook world where you, you kind of have to make some sort of a positive impression. Not that everybody does, but, you know, you kind of right. have to show the brighter side. But for what it's worth, you know, it is what caught my attention of who you were and it's the reason why yeah. I wanted to meet you and I it's the reason why you know I checked out your music and I don't know how many other people saw it that way but I mean just it you know when, when you put that post up I can imagine that there were some negative feelings about it but that certainly didn't come across in in what I read and it was quite impressive that I just thought well this guy is a true yeah. musician it's it's about the music it's not about anything else and that's what impressed me yeah thank you i mean it, it it is about the music if it stops being about that then you're kind of in trouble really uh <clears throat> that's that's all there is to it anybody any artist could tell you that right away the minute it starts to become about the cocktail party the schmooze thing whatever whatever then you're you're you get lost and it happens more often than not you know that people just get lost in the big head world i was lost in it you know, I was way lost in it and it stopped being about, hey, let's show up and try to make the best song we can. It, it, it changed into something else. And that that was a period of my life that's in the past, um, but it's still there to remind me. So, yeah, I, I, um, I don't sweat it too much. I feel lucky that I can still play and uh, I try to honor the music. I try to honor this moment, you know, talking with you. Um, I appreciate you having me on and wanting to talk about these things because uh, this this kind of connection is really m more about what it's all about, like having a real conversation with somebody as opposed to a super superficial thing about promotional stuff like that. But you know, you the social media is a it can hurt. You know, it can really hurt. It can cause a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. um, but it also there are some connections that are happening that are good. And the fact is, is like today, they, they, they're a huge business now. They figured it out. They're like, oh, we can get 
guys like me or whatever songwriters that are playing gigs to spend 25 bucks on an advertisement to promote this show or whatever it is, right. you know, they can get countless members of us all over the world to do that or else no one's going to know about it because posting about it is not enough today. You actually have to spend money and at, and spend money and use the algorithm for, for what it's for. So it's, it's just a, a huge a huge version of all the telephone poles on campus that we used to put our flyers on to let everybody know we were playing. You know, it's like, that's, it's just, you have to like spend the money. And, um, it's unfortunate that, uh, it's gonna, you know, some people might not be able to afford that or whatever, but it's also like, it's helpful to know that you can target it and let, let some people know because otherwise how, how else, you know, I don't have a big record, uh, I don't have a big machine behind me. I have a, a, a lovely little record company called Black Mesa Records. And um, that company is my friend. You know, it's a, I'd say it's a mom and pop, but it's really a pop. Well, it's a, it's a mom and pop shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Black Mesa Records. And my, my uh, booking agent is Dennis from Black Oak Artists in Ohio. And so double black going on there. And... I was really lucky. Um, my friend in Canada, Leroy Stagger, he he um, he used the fact that I have a Canadian mom and his connections and his grant writing skills. And I went up to Canada and I made a full album in uh, in Victoria uh, a couple months ago, and it's going to come out in May of 2024. It's called uh, Find Your Way. And it's a whole all Canadian band, Canadian producer, Canadian studio, um, and I'm looking to come up and play some Canadian folk fest. So if anybody out there knows about how to to work that, help me uh, work that into it. Um, the album's done, everything's ready. The vinyl's been ordered, so it's coming out in May of 2024, and it's a full Canadian thing. Which is like first time in my life I kind of get to honor that that part of my uh, my upbringing. I, I wonder when you were. You, you mentioned this a little bit when you were in Japan and being an American that that you might have gotten beaten up once or twice. Yeah. As a busking musician in Europe, being an American, did you get a different perspective of what how Americans are viewed? Well, yeah. I mean, nobody knew I was American. They always thought I was Irish or something. <laughs> you know, no one ever thought I was American. Oh, okay. Was it? But then was they, a reason why you, they wouldn't have known or? No, I mean, I didn't wear a big flag on my okay. uh, thing. Like all the the Canadians wear the flags because they don't want to be mistaken for <laughs> Americans. And the Canadians, the Canadians and the Australians have the flags on their pack because right. they're like, yeah, don't, we're not them, you know. <clears throat> That's so classic, and it still happens today, probably. Um, I, you know, I, I, I want to represent the good part of humanity. I remember, I yeah, I remember hanging out with people, and they were like you're different than most Americans we know. And I'm like, <laughs> let me guess, you know, they travel in... Pa yeah, I mean, I, I, I am different than most Americans. I, I do do I do a lot of traveling and reading and um, that's changed my world outlook. I, feel, I do honestly feel like a citizen of the world, you know? I participate in, in my, uh, my... the politics of my country uh, by voting and and being outspoken. But, you know, I, I do feel like a world citizen and 
That's because I am, you know, that's, I, I did the traveling. I, <clears throat> the reason I'm able to sing the songs I sing today and it's because I lived that life, you know, I, it's, it's not, when people call me the real deal or whatever, uh, I accept it today, you know, it's true. <laughs> All right, I still have some, some artifice in there somewhere when I'm pretending to be, you know, a pop star or whatever. <laughs> I can't even think of any examples, but, you know, but it's like, yeah, I did, I did all that traveling and now I've lived that life and now I, I write about it and I'm still out there traveling. I, I just, I just hitchhiked the other day in Tennessee. I went fishing and I floated a, a huge gap of the Elk River on my kayak. And then I got out of the kayak and I had to hitchhike back to my truck or car to, you know, and then to get the car to bring it back to put the kayak on top. And I was like, you know, I had to hitchhike it. And uh, I I was on the road with my fishing, you know, stuff. And, and uh, I put my thumb out and this, this old guy in a truck pulls over and he's like, really looking at me like, wow, what's going on here? And I'm like, yeah, I was just fishing in the river. I need to ride back to the, the dam, you know? And he's like, oh, okay, get in. And he's like, I could barely understand him. His accent was so thick, but he was so cool. He said this one thing. He said, well, we're supposed to help each other, ain't we? Ain't that what we're supposed to do? And I was like, yes, that's right. We're supposed to help each other. Thank you. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's just one of those cool experiences that I was able to have just by putting myself out there in the world still. And so I'm still, I still do it. I, I'm lucky. I'm not, I'm not famous i'm not infamous um in most places and uh you know so i'm able to live my life as as a writer and and go through it and just still do my thing you know and and uh and participate in in humanity and write about it i feel lucky for that is there a song coming out of that experience well i guess there could be uh yeah you know i like to let things marinate a little bit I mean, yeah, I, I, if, I, if you told me that was the prompt and I had to sit down and write about that, that would be it. <clears throat> what I'm trying to do is actually have a couple of days where I don't do anything. That's what I'm trying to do. To you know, Today, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this podcast with you. Then I'm going to try to sit and do F all, you know, and like plant these herbs that I have that I, I want to, you know, get some, you know, indoor herbs going for the, for the uh, wintertime cooking and basically read, you know, read a little bit, try to add to the haiku pile. But that's about it. I'm trying to like, like, you don't have to do that much. Just take it easy. I need to take it easy because I really, I've been on the road for quite a bit. Then I went to Arkansas. So I'm still, I'm still winding down. And if anybody out there has made it this far and is still listening to us, bravo to you. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, but, you know, I, I have, I'm really easy to get a hold of, right? There's all the social media things, but then there's the Patreon page. I, I, that's really my, my main thing, right? And it's just, you know, you can go on there and just see what I'm doing on Patreon. And I have, I have a sub stack where I write every week. Um, I just put up something yesterday. And then I have, uh, I have a whole other thing where I do nonfiction uh, <clears throat> on a WordPress thing. It's called Americana Unsung. So AmericanaUnsung.com is all fictional stories about Americana artists that are struggling in a world of real, in, like they mingle with real people that you've heard of. So that's all fictional and a little bit comedic. 
And, um, you know, timeeaston.com is my website. And I, I basically, I'm, I am a just self-propelled kind of thing, but I couldn't do it without you. You know, I couldn't do it without music lovers and the, and the interesting ways that we, we cross each other's path. And it, it just so happens that you found me because of a post that went, I don't know, viral isn't the right word, semi-viral <laughs> about me playing a gig to two people. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's true. What you said, it's, it is, it's, it's about the music and the minute it's not about the music is when it just starts to fall to, apart really. Um, so it brings the, up the, two questions for me. One is when, when you did this, when you sabotage yourself, how did you come yeah. back? How did you f find yourself again? Mm. I actually reached out for help. I mean, I, I just got, I got help. So you knew something I was got, very wrong. Yeah, I got therapeutic help uh, for, for addiction and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, today I try to practice helping others. That's, that's all I can, that's all I can do, um, really. Uh, it's part of my life. You know, I, I check in with, with other people. And <clears throat> I have so many friends in various stages of, like, doing great with their lives, who used to be in trouble and then those that are in the hospital and on death's door because they can't change, they can't stop, you know? So that was a, that was a, a major change in my life. And it, it certainly has freed up a lot more time to be creative. You know, I mean, there's a lot of time in the day if you're not getting ham, if you're not getting hammered, right? you know, I mean, not everybody has this problem and I don't mind people drinking. I think that weed should be legal. And to, to a certain extent, psychedelics or whatever, I don't have a problem with that. That's I'm glad that that's there, and I don't have, I don't have a problem being around people that are drinking or using drugs. It's it's I have a problem being around people that are unhappy, you know, and not a problem. I mean, like if that's what's going on, if you're unhappy, then let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Let's see what we can do to change that. I mean, that's part of part of my my life and my traveling life now. Um, you know, there's another Canadian-American guy named Steve Poltz who you should interview. I have. Yeah, so Steve, I, I, try, I just was at Steve's house yesterday. We had some lunch and, and, and wrote a little bit. I'm trying to write a song together. And uh, <clears throat> he's another example of someone that's like, doesn't party anymore, but uses his creativity and his energy to lift people up that way. You know, that's his, his service work in the world. He's out there making people laugh so hard they cry and he's bringing an emotional upheaval to people in a great way, you know? So that's, I, I can't, I'm not Steve Poltz. I'm not going to, um, I know. don't think many people are. And, no, no. Yeah. I'm not going to emulate him that way, but, but I will emulate the fact that, that now I'm out there on the road trying to, trying to bring some joy or let people escape a little bit from the the day-to-day -day doldrums just through music and 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 uh, a little bit of poetry and a little bit of creativity and you know just a little bit of rock and roll a little bit of rock and roll spirit you know this this album I made in Canada that's coming out next year uh, it's called Find Your Way and it's it's a folk album with a like a rock and roll heartbeat in there because there is a drummer and um, you know but it was made in one room live together in one room the producer Leroy Stagger who runs this beautiful studio uh, out of Victoria uh, out in BC 
And um, so I'm hoping to get up there and tour next year. Uh, anybody watching this that wants to uh, discuss house shows or hanging out and playing some music together, I'm all about you it. You have done so, some gigs um, in Canada, right? Like you played the Winnipeg Folk Festival. and I have, yeah. It was one of the greatest festivals of my life. I actually wrote a song. I walked off the back of the stage of one of my sets and I wrote a song on the spot. I wrote the words down to this song called The Festival Song, which I play all the time um, and at every festival that I play. So, so can, can yeah, you that just was an, explain that? You just finished playing and you're just yeah. so inspired that you know that there's a song yeah. in you that just comes through you? Yeah, it's like you got to take the time to just write it down. If you don't take that time and let the world interrupt you, you're, you're getting into trouble there as a writer. It's like, well, there it is. It's it's an avalanche. It's coming in. I'm like, I just wrote these words down. On, I had some notebook paper in my guitar case. I remember, and I just scribbled them down, and um, it just came out. And I I probably should have been at the merch table or talking to my new fans or something or whatever, but nope. I was I I put that first, and. I think if you if you do that, you're definitely going to build a body of work. I mean, not everybody can do that. Some some people can't write on the road at all, mm-hmm. you know. But I I have to find time to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't get any work done. But there are times when you say, "I'm going to spend the next hour just writing," and hopefully coming up with something. But there are other times when it just hits you. Yeah. Yeah, I never do well with this whole like, hey, we're going to meet at two o'clock on Thursday and write a song. That's not my, like, yesterday Pultz and I wrote like two half songs, you know, um, or something like that, you know, and it's like, I I do much better on spontaneity um, and getting up and doing it on my own. I'm kind of a lone wolf in that respect, but I'm the lone wolf that needs the input of others now. I accept it more. That's another part about recovery or whatever is like changing your ways is like realizing that you are not the, you know, you are not the uh, the center of the universe when it comes to <laughs> writing and stuff. And that you need some some output, some some help from outside things. I've, I've put a lot of things out there before anybody ever read it or looked at it. And there's, you know, I like to do that because once you put it out there in the world, all of a sudden you're like, oh this could be, I could make this a little better. And that's, that's what my Patreon page is. Like I'll write a song. I'll just get into it. And in, in one hour I'll film myself doing it. And I'll put a video up of me doing it. If you go to my Patreon page every month, you'll see this video of me trying out a new song. And oftentimes I change it a little bit after that, before it makes it to a record. But I love that first gut reaction thing. So yeah, I, I do better with the spontaneity and I, I do better and I think we all do better when we honor the spontaneity and, and let it, the, the now really seep in, even if there's, if the world is waiting. Now, sometimes the world is your job or some important family function and you'd be a jerk if you showed up late. But I tell you songwriters and creative people out there, it's like the world can wait another 15 minutes while you work on a song. It's not that, um, you know. I mean, musicians and poets and what are are stereotypically late people already. Uh, and I don't advise that. I, I try to be on time. I try to honor other people. When I say I'm going to be somewhere at a certain time, I try to do that. I believe that that's the right way to go about it. It's not cool to mess with other people's time. Time is, is valuable. And um, 
but in general, songwriters, you know, you know, just send a quick text or whatever and tell someone you're going to be late if you need if you're working on something that's coming right then. Oftentimes, just a verse and a chorus and a verse and boom, you you got the majority of it right there. You can record that on your phone and move on or move back to it later. Um, you said when you were busking, you were just trying to experience life to become better being a songwriter. What did you, Was there a moment, and I, I know it's an ongoing process and a work in progress, but was there a moment where you realized that I am now a decent songwriter? Um, uh, the moment that comes to right, right away um, is when I opened up for Graham Parker. And, uh, and I had a new song, and it came from a painful experience. And it didn't really sound painful, but it was just an emotional thing. And I played it. I opened up for Graham Parker, and he told me that was a great song. And that moment when another songwriter tells you, and Mark Eitzel is another songwriter that early on told me that about one of my songs, like, that's a good song. So that validation um, does help, you know, but can also blow up your head a little bit but you know what i mean yeah, yeah. it just but it helps you know it's like all of a sudden like okay i understand some basic things about songwriting and and you just you just remember all songwriters are going to remember that moment when they like write something they're like hmm this okay this is a complete verse verse chorus bridge verse whatever thing that's like it's done it's intro outro and you got it and it's and then someone else says, "Oh, that's a good song." Like you, we all remember that moment. And for me, it was yeah, it was Graham Parker um, backstage at a bar in Ohio, and I guess you know, to be a to be a poet, they say that you're a poet when another poet tells you you're a poet. So that's a, a real basic thing. If if another poet tells you, um. I like your poem. You're a poet. That's how you become a poet. So in the world of songwriting, that's it too. You know, it's like someone with experience um, tells you that you have a good song. That's, you know, that's part of it. And I, I will do that when the time is, when the time is appropriate with young songwriters, you know, um, when they, when they present something that's like, a, you know, a complete tune. My final question. What is a song to you? How do you define a song? Uh, a song doesn't have to have chords and uh, music behind it. A song is could just be sung. Um, that's A song is a, a, a short story told in a few verses maybe a chorus and that's it. It's, 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 it's a short, it's a short story that might tell a lot of big world truths. Um, not all songs are that, not all my songs are that for sure, but that's, that's what a song is. A song is a, is a, is a lyric with a melody, you know, it's just, it's a poem with a melody behind it. It doesn't have to have all the high lofty things of poetry it can have some yeah babies, yeah babies, yeah yeah yeah, baby baby baby, and it too. It's just, but it has, it does have a, a musical, a melody behind it. 
that is oftentimes um, repeated and sunk in. And that's what a song is. It's 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 really simple. I, I probably already over-explained it, but a song doesn't necessarily have to have music behind it. It's just something, a melody that someone sings that has a story. It's crazy that your brother tells you, well, if you put, write some poetry and put it to music, you, you become a songwriter, yeah. and, and many years later, this is what you do. Yeah, yeah, he, he started it. Um, I tell that story quite a bit because it is true. It's a pivotal moment. Like I remember where I was standing. I remember where he was standing. I remember the poem that I wrote. It was, it was a haiku, and uh, I don't remember exactly how it went, but I know that I rhymed Briggs and Stratton which is an engine, a lawnmower engine that I would have known because I had to mow the lawn with General Patton, which is a, a World War II general that my dad, my dad took me to see the movie Patton when I was really young with George C. Scott. And have you noticed how much film comes into play with all musicians and songwriters? Like film is a major deal in our lives, like the music and films and just films because they are big stories, right? Mm -hmm. Epic stories. And that one was like, my dad, I was probably a little too young to go see Patton, but he took me to see it. And uh, like, the, yeah, a bridge too far, uh, bridge over the river Kwai, uh, Jaws, like 70s movies that I probably shouldn't have seen as a, well, whatever, as a kid, I, I handled it. But that one made an impact on me, you know, so I used it in a rhyme and the teacher gave me good marks. And therefore, again, with the encouragement of, an experienced uh, person, you know. So, I say, uh, you out there that can that can teach and, and and share your experience, you know, go for it and do it with joy, and do it with uh, love, and and um, you never know, you never know who you're gonna um, prevent from moving into a cubicle for the rest of their <laughs> lives, and you know, you never know, you know, you never know who's gonna just take off and hit the highway and start hitchhiking around Ireland and meet John Prine. Um, so, yeah, way to go, poets. Way to go, inspiring other poets to, uh, to stick to it. Well, way to go, you. Thank you so much for this Cheers. time. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. And uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Mm -hmm.